true story about a man that was born, uh, 1725, he was born in a, a suburb of London, England. He was born into a house where his father was a sailor, and his, uh, so his father was gone a lot. Back in those days, a, uh, a sailor would be gone uh, a lot of the time because it wasn't like today where you would go from you know, across the seas and it'd be a few weeks, but they might be gone for two or three years at a time, and so his dad was. And so he was left there with his mom a lot, and his mom would try to instill in him values of, of Christianity and, and positive things like that, really because she didn't want her son to end up like his dad, because she, she did not want her son to go into that sailor lifestyle and all that went along with that. So she uh, taught her son the things of God and and that kind of stuff. But one time, one of those trips that his father was gone, one of those two to three year trips, uh, his mother passed away, became sick and passed away. And, uh, and he was a young boy at that time. So uh, he basically went into what might be like a foster care type thing. Different relatives would take him in. But he lost that voice in his life that was trying to teach him the ways of God. And, and we find out through history that uh, that he ended up being a sailor. So he followed after his dad and, and, and became a sailor. And, uh, and, you know, we have phrases like, well, he cusses like a sailor. You've heard that, I'm sure. Well, most of these sayings like this are grounded in some sort of truth or an example. Um, so, you know, we know that sailors, at least at some point, maybe still today, had filthy mouths. And, and the story goes that this young man had one of the filthiest mouths. In fact, the sailors themselves would be embarrassed by the way he would talk. So even sailors would say, you cuss like a sailor, because he was just that rough. He was that rude. He was that vile. He was that profane. And uh, because of his lifestyle, being a sailor, he had a lot of near death or, or dangerous situations that he went through. Back then, it wouldn't have been like today. We couldn't, back then, they couldn't predict weather like they can today. So when you, you set sail in the 1700s, you really had no idea other than maybe wind directions changing and shifting that, you know, how you would know if a storm was going to come up. So they would get stuck in storms a lot as they sailed about. So he had lots and lots of times where he, uh, he had near-death experiences or scary situations. In fact, once he even uh, got malaria because after he was a sailor with the British Royal Navy, uh, he, when he was done with that part of his life, he became a slave trader. So he was a uh, captain of slave trading boats. So he worked off of uh, Africa and, and, and Sierra Leone area of Africa and uh, contracted malaria at some point during that time in his life. And again, all these dangerous situations are happening, things that um, just, just because of his occupation, there were a lot of hazards there. And, uh, and he, he remembered, though, even though he was as vile as can be and he had a filthy mouth and, and, and just there was something that still stuck in his mind. And, and history, and he would write later in his life things like he would read Luke eleven thirteen. He got a hold of a New Testament which says, you know, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, and how much more? Does your Father in heaven love you? And he would read that, and although he felt hopeless because he was so vile and so uh, dirty, that that he uh, that would give him hope that yeah, I am evil, I am evil, and and, and now I know that God still loves me, and He's willing to uh, to give me the Holy Ghost when I ask. And he he, re, he was reminded of that. But there was one time that it got really bad at sea, and they were on a uh, on one of their journeys out at sea, and and for over a week they were in a storm, and it was bad. And, uh, and he remembers a time where he was on the main deck by the mast, and, uh, and he could not stand there anymore. He was just 
uh, too weak, just battered with the waves and the wind. And so he, he switched places. He went to the helm to steer uh, the boat, and he was tied to the helm because otherwise it would be too difficult with the winds and the waves. And, uh, and when he switched positions, when he switched from the main deck to the helm, the sailor that replaced him on the main deck within moments was sweeped overboard and drowned in the sea. And he remembers, he recounts that moment as a life-changing moment for him because uh, he realized how fragile things were. He really saw that he was within moments of losing his life, and that changed his life that day. And we know that within a couple of years from that time, he had a stroke. He was no longer able to be a sailor, and, uh, and he went back home to England. And a little bit later in life, when he was nearly 60 years old, he wrote a poem. And when he wrote that poem, he was really, it was not necessarily, necessarily a theological poem, but it was intended to show a story uh, about his life and how he felt and the experiences that he had. And John Newton wrote a, a poem that later became about 60 years after he wrote it. He wrote the poem in 1772. About 60 years later, they put uh, music to it and made it into a song. And you probably know it. And if you do, you can sing along. It goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When you understand the gentleman that wrote those words, it begins to put a lot of power behind that because he was a filthy person, really a dirty person, and he later in life realized that there was amazing grace. But I want to I hone in on a part of this song, one line that says, was blind, but now I see. He recognized that he was spiritually blind. He didn't know what God was doing or working out in his life. But later on, he was able to see what God was doing in his life. And I want to move over to the story of Paul, Saul then Paul in, in the book of Acts. We know that, uh, that he was similar, not, I don't know, they were similar in, in badness, I guess. But, but Saul went around and he believed, according to Acts, he believed that it was his duty. He was convinced that he was supposed to go and do as many things opposing the name of Jesus that he possibly could. He was spiritually blind. He didn't realize what God had for him. He says in Acts 26, I myself was convinced I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up the saints in prison, he said I even voted them to be killed. I gave authority for Christians to be killed. I punished them as often as I could. This is Paul's testimony. I'm sure he told this everywhere that he went. But it goes down, and we understand the story that on his way to Damascus to continue doing what he had been doing, the persecution, the harming, the hurting of Christians, he was on his way to Damascus, and Jesus and God, God and Jesus, they, they blinded him. And a light came from heaven. He fell off of his donkey. He was blinded there. And he heard that voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asked him that question. He said, well, who are you? 
The Lord said, I'm Jesus, who are you who you are persecuting? And here's what he says, and this is so incredible to think that the place in Paul's life where he was, he was still a sinner. He hadn't repented yet, he hadn't been baptized, hadn't been filled with the Holy Ghost. He was on his way to persecute more Christians. This is what he was doing. And Jesus says this: rise and stand upon this is verse 16, Acts chapter 26. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you. This is you, this is Paul. This is the sinner. This is the persecutor, the one that was killing Christians. I'm here to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those which I will appear to you. Going on to verse 18, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. Now think about it. In this moment, Paul had not yet turned from darkness to light. He was still a sinner. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you a witness to help them turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was lost, and even as he was lost, God was looking out for him. Even when he was spiritually blind, God knew where he was, and God had a purpose for him. And I wanted to go tonight from and, and talking about that theme was blind but now I see I wanted to talk about uh, five principles related to blindness in sight in Jesus in the Bible things that I believe these understanding these five principles going from blindness to sight through him are important for us to understand we have to understand these things in order to experience salvation the way he wants us to experience salvation so five things the first is this it is the lord that opens blind eyes it's no one else no one else opens blind eyes it's the lord that opens blind eyes psalms 146:8 says this the lord sets the prisoners free the lord opens the eyes of the blind the lord lifts up those who are bowed down the lord loves the righteous. It is important for us to understand that it is no one but him that can open blind eyes. And I want you to understand that I'm not really talking about the, the physically blind eyes tonight. Yes, he can physically cure blindness. He can make someone who's blind be able to see. But I'm talking about a spiritual blindness tonight. When you can't, you can't see what God's doing in your life, you can't understand where he's taking you, but the Lord is the one that can open your blind eyes. He even cautions us against being wise in our own eyes in Isaiah 5.21 where it says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. We have to understand that there is no amount of man's wisdom that can give you spiritual sight? None. There's no amount of man's wisdom that can give you spiritual sight. You absolutely cannot save yourself. I can't save you. You can't save you. Pastor can't save you. There is literally nothing that you can do to earn salvation tonight. Nothing. Not one thing you can do. You can't be nice enough. You can't be good enough. You can't be friendly enough. You can't be generous enough. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's that, there's that unworthiness that we have. We are all unworthy of what God wants to do in our lives, and that's something that it's easy for us to get hung up on. It's so easy for us to get hung up on that unworthiness because we begin to think that, God, there's no way. I'm not good enough. And no, you're not, right? None of us are good enough, but we can't get hung up on that. 
we got to understand that this salvation, this grace that's available to us, this spiritual sight that is available to us is available to us just because it is, because he gives it freely. God gives that salvation to us freely in spite of us. It is only God who can open blind eyes. It is only God who can save us. Amen? Praise God. The second thing about sight, the first is it's the Lord that opens the blind eyes. The second is Jesus himself was sent to recover sight to the blind. So in Psalms, we're writing about the Lord, God. Jesus was sent, God's only son, to recover sight to the blind. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is Jesus talking, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Then he goes on and says, He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we could read those phrases literally and say that, well, he must have been talking about prison ministry. Liberty to the captives, prison ministry. So he came for the prisons, recovering sight to the blind. So blind people, he's come for blind people. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. So anyone who's oppressed, is he's come for them. But I don't believe that certainly he's able to minister to those, but I don't think Jesus is only talking about those literal things in this passage. I believe there's a spiritual element, a deeper element to the words of Jesus in this phrase where you might could read it as he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives of sin. Those that are held captive of sin, I'm here to proclaim liberty. I'm here to recover the sight of the blind to those that are spiritually unable to see. I'm going to set at liberty those who are oppressed by sin. You know, sin's oppressive. Sin will hold you back. Sin will really hold you back. And, but we've got to understand that Jesus is not just talking about healing blind people. He's talking about giving us spiritual sight, allowing us to be able to see. And I really kind of liken this blindness to sight as salvation. I'm blind. Before I'm saved, I know nothing of, of spiritual things. And then God saves me. That's that salvation. That's that spiritual sight that he gives us. So Jesus is not just talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual sight when he said he was sent to recover sight to the blind. The third thing about sight says this. The dirt has to be washed away so that we can see. The dirt has to be washed away. In uh, John chapter 9, we read about the man who was healed of, of blindness. It said, in, and I have John 9, 6 and 7, 11 and 25, and it says this, Having said these things, verse 6, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And he, had to, he went to the pool with mud in his eyes, dirty. He came back seeing when he washed away the dirt that was over his eyes. He went on in verse 11, uh, the Pharisees, if you know the whole story, the Pharisees uh, couldn't get over the fact that somebody was healed on the Sabbath, God forbid. So this man was healing on the Sabbath, so clearly he was a sinner, even though he was Jesus. But he answered, and they were, they were questioning the man, and the man said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam, wash. I went and washed and received my sight. He goes on again. The Pharisees are pressing him. Uh, this man must have been a sinner. There's no way he could have healed you. And if you read further about this, you'll find that this was the only, the first time actually that a, a, a man that was blind from birth was healed of blindness. That hadn't happened before in history. And the, and the man says that in, the, in other verses in this passage. But he says in verse 25, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know. One thing I do know 
as though I was blind, now I see. He didn't care who did it. It didn't matter to him that it was done on the Sabbath. All he cared about is that he was blind and now he was able to see. His condition was reversed. The blindness, he was, he was now able to see. Now physical in this sense, he was able to see. But I do wonder, that it, could it be that God was showing us that it's only through washing away of that dirtiness or sin that we can have sight or salvation? Could it be that it wasn't just the physical healing they were talking about, but maybe a confirmation that it's only after being washed in baptism that we can then be saved? I wonder if there wasn't a deeper message in that passage. And then we notice that the Pharisees would continue to go on and could not get past uh, the man's credentials and who he was and when he healed. But the most important thing to this man was that he was blind, but now... I see. If he could have wrote that song, I'm sure those words would have been sung from him, his lips after he was healed that day. The fourth thing, when God shows up, there's a change. When God shows up, there is a change. Amen. In Isaiah 35, 4 through 7, it says this, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with a recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And I love this next stretch. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the deserts. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. There is a contrast here. There's a contrast. When God shows up, something that is a negative situation, something bad, turns good. The negative turns positive when Jesus, when God shows up. Eyes of the blind are open when he shows up. God always makes a positive change, amen? He always makes a positive change. The fifth thing about blindness into sight, when God opens your eyes, you will see things differently. You're going to see things differently when God opens your eyes. We read in 2 Kings 6 and 17, it says this, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. This would have been a servant of Elisha. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So this was a situation that was dire. It was a situation that they were concerned about. This, this servant boy uh, was not yet familiar. His eyes had not been spiritually open. He wasn't seeing what God could see and what Elisha could see. He only saw the opposition that was there in the way. He could only see that the enemy was there and the enemy appeared to be greater than they were. But when God opens your eyes, you're going to see things differently. You're going to see things in the spiritual realm. Those things that you used to question, when you were blind, those things that you used to worry about that were a big deal to you when you were blind, those things become less and less meaningful. You no longer worry about that stuff that, that used to give you problems and used to keep you up at night. You begin to think that, well, God's got it. We heard just a couple of weeks ago, God's in control. God's got it. And I don't have to worry about those things anymore. Those things I used to worry about, they just become afterthoughts because I've been, my eyes have been spiritually opened uh, by God, as he's the only one who can open my eyes. But you will see things differently when God opens your eyes. Being blind is no joke, certainly not in the natural and, and definitely not in the spiritual. Blindness is a 
serious condition. In fact, I might even, as even an example, I could have Brother Anthony, if you want to stand up for a moment, just because you're here. That'll teach you to sit on the front. Come on up here. All right, so I'm going to take you somewhere. Close your eyes. Keep me, I can trust you, right? Keep them closed. I'm, I'm not going to lead you astray here. Keep them closed. You guys, make sure he doesn't open his eyes, okay? We're doing this real. This is a, you're going to ruin my lesson if you open your eyes, okay? All right, well, let's just go turn around a little bit, maybe a few times. Turn around. Let's go over here. All right. Now, why don't you have a seat? There's this chair right there. You see it? That's a chair. Okay. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. Don't open your eyes. Go back to your seat, your original seat. But on your way to the original seat, I want you to shake hands with Brother Harpole. <laughs> and also Brother Sorrels. Not close. Not close. <laughs> wow, he's just going the wrong way. What a great, this is perfect. This wasn't even planned, but, I mean, when you're spiritually blind, you're going to go the wrong way. You're going to be going the wrong way and not even know it. Like, you're just way off now. It's not recoverable at this point. <laughs> All right, you can open your eyes. Well, it's. See where you are? I mean, you were blind. You couldn't see. A, a simple task, a simple thing like, hey, he wants to shake your hand now. A simple thing like, like finding your seed or finding an individual that you've seen a thousand times becomes difficult when you're blind, when you can't see. And, so, and that was just physical blindness. But think in the spiritual world. When you're spiritually blind, there are things that should be easy. To you, but they become difficult and challenging and hard to understand and hard to get through because you're spiritually blind. God has not delivered you from that. I'm not sure anyone likes to be blind. I, I, I don't think that would be a thing. Most people like to see. If you get up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black, what do you do? Turn on a light, right? So you turn on a light so you can see. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants the challenge of trying to do things and accomplish a task in the dark, right? But, uh, but so people want to see. And, uh, but spiritually, think about this. When, when people are wandering around spiritually blind, it's a serious condition, a serious condition. They wander through life uh, not knowing that there's something bigger than themselves to be a part of. They don't understand that there's so much more that God wants for them. And, and maybe even worse, maybe they don't know that they need anything else. They don't even think they need anything else because they're spiritually blind. That is spiritual blindness. And in the natural, being blind and then healed is a physical miracle, but and the spiritual, this healing, to me, is so much more than that physical miracle. It's a restoration of ourselves unto God. It's being delivered from this sinful state through forgiveness of sins and water baptism. It's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's the turning around of a life that was destined for destruction and pointing that life towards God. That's what happens when you are spiritually healed of blindness and allowed to see in the spirit, amen. We have a contrast here between two conditions, blindness and sight, darkness and light. Our God is the God of contrast. On my own, I'm sinful. With him, my sins are washed away. Just like that. I can, I can literally pray and, and ask a prayer of forgiveness, a prayer of repentance, and I'm forgiven like that. I'm a sinner, but with him, I, my sins are washed away. I'm lost, but with him... I'm found. 
Amen. I'm sick, but with him, I'm healed. I'm weak, but thank God with him, I'm strong. It's the positive to our negative. It's a God that takes all of our negative, all of our weaknesses, everything that we lack in, and when you add God to that equation, look how much you can do. Look what God is able to do through you because you yield yourself to him, and he heals you of this spiritual blindness. So what does God want us to see? The price for our salvation has already been paid. He wants you to know that. Somebody wants to know that tonight. The price for your salvation, your spiritual sight, has already been paid for. Are you sinful? Yes. Are you going to fail? Yes. Are you unworthy of, the, of what God is offering you tonight? Yeah. But look at what, and I, I'm going to start closing now. Uh, look at the vision that Isaiah saw. I think it was a few weeks ago. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we understand the story in Isaiah 6 where uh, Isaiah saw the vision and he was in the presence of God and the angels. And, and, uh, and when he saw him, he instantly thought that I'm unworthy of this. I can't be in this presence. Woe is me, he says. And then we see the image in, uh, in the words show up here where the, the seraphim flew, flies over to him and he touches a hot coal to his mouth and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. In other words, the price has been paid. You've been in the presence of God, and, and that might have been dis meant destruction for you, but no, the price has been paid. Your sins have already been atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. It's so easy for us to see ourselves as hopeless sinners and be discouraged. That's so easy. That's the easy button. So it's easy to see all your failures. It's easy to see all the shortcomings that we all have. It's easy to think that we're beyond saving. It's easy to think that there's nothing God could do for me because look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look who I've hung around with. Look where I've gone in my life. And it's so easy for us to think that we've gone too far. But God says, I've already atoned for those sins. I've already paid that price. You don't have to worry. You don't have to get stuck in this discouragement and, and think that there's nothing that you're going to be able to do. But God says, I've paid the price. God says, I took on your guilt. God made the way for us to be delivered from this condition of spiritual blindness that we're born into. God made the way for salvation, for deliverance from the sin. He's the one that paid the price that we were destined to pay. So the question for us tonight is simply this. What do we do with it? How do we respond for this opportunity that we have, this gift that's being offered? How do, we, how do we get past the guilt that we all no doubt have felt and maybe even feel right now in this place and see that God has made a way for you and for me despite of all those shortcomings, despite of what you did today, yesterday, last week, last year, he's made a way. We, could we set aside that feeling of hopelessness and, and set that to the side and say, God has made a way of escape for me? I don't have to be hopeless. I don't have to be discouraged. I don't have to do that because my God loves me. And my God already made a way of escape for me tonight. Can we understand that salvation is for me regardless of me? In spite of me, I can still take advantage of salvation tonight. This amazing grace is for each one of us. I was blind and now I see is an experience that's available to everyone. And I believe it's God's will that everyone would experience that was blind, but now I see experience. Amen? Why don't we stand and sing that old song before we're dismissed in Jesus' name?